Hi, I'm glad you're here. I'd like to discuss um, the unfolding path to redemption, the fact that there is a path and it is unfolding. Um, or maybe let me start by just telling you about the haircut that I just got. So, <laughs> since it all kind of connects. So, I was getting my haircut and um, the person giving me uh, the haircut seemed to be kind of in a kind of in a down mood and um, what, what I didn't realize was that they were had just been riding a motorcycle and that they were um, hit by a car thrown from the motorcycle and, and they, they broke a couple of ribs and that the car then just drove away so your classic hit and run situation and but this person was very sort of is very uh, strong and, and uh, kind of went to work anyway and kind of was wearing a sweater. There was no, no way to tell, actually, the, that they had two broken ribs. So, but anyway, so we were talking about uh, some of the things that I want to share with you today. Just some of the, the kind of the deeper aspects of, of reality and what's actually going on in the world. And um, how the world is, is traveling toward redemption. And again, I didn't realize what the person's situation was at the moment, but they said, you know, I don't really have much faith in the goodness of people. And, and I said, you know something, this, what I'm saying, doesn't have anything to do with the goodness of people. In other words, I'm, I'm making a distinction right now, and we can really begin to talk with this, with this idea. We have free choice. We have free choice, and we have the ability to choose good or not. And, and we're, we're here to choose good. That is basically the main, you know, George Bush has a book out right now, Decision Points. That is our decision point, whether or not to choose good or not. That's, that's it. That's what it all boils down to. Um, and the Gomorrah actually says that a lot of like the bigger aspects of our life um, are actually based on mazel. Although mazel through good deeds and prayer can be sort of... Um, changed and things like that, but, but nonetheless, the, sort of the, the, the contours of our life are, are more or less arranged, but this fundamental decision, whether or not to choose good or not, which is, which, which, which can change everything, by the way, can also change all the muzzle aspects, but, but that is 100% solely in our hands. So that is the primary playing ground for us in this world. Um... Now, now let's, let's take a step back and um, get back on track. So, so this person said, you know something, I don't have a lot of faith in the goodness of people. And, well, we all have free choice, that's true. But I said, you know, this doesn't have to do with the goodness of people. There is a plan that we're part of. Now, imagine a carpet that's all rolled up. And then you roll out the carpet. Okay? So that's... We're basically part of this process toward the spiritual evolution and perfection of the world. And it will carry all of us with it. Now the question is... now, Okay, so let me just make sure that everyone is, is clear on that point because then this, this triggers a lot of other things. To understand the fullness of the fact that we're part of a process. And that that process is not hostage to us. It's independent of us. 
And it's going on sometimes in spite of us. This process toward redemption. But how we act is very crucial to how that process manifests itself in this world. I always go back to the phraseology um, on TV cop shows, which is when, when all the cops always say, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. So depending on our actions, if our actions, if we choose to do good, then basically we make ourselves vessels for this big light that's coming down, and everything is in sync, and everything rolls smoothly. If not, the light comes down anyway. That's the point. The light comes down anyway. But if we don't have vessels to hold that light, then it manifests itself in a very disruptive fashion. So there are a lot of implications to this. We gave a a whole talk on it a few weeks ago called um, Facebook, CNN, and God. Um, Trends in the Zeitgeist. And just to kind of summarize the talk very, very briefly, what, what, what I was suggesting is, is that, is that the revelation of oneness, of God's oneness in this world, is, is going on in a, in a phenomenal way. Just to give you a few examples. Um, Facebook, for instance, is connecting all of humanity, basically, I mean, at this rate, all of humanity into one single network where anyone communicate, can communicate to anyone or to everyone. So there is an aspect of oneness becoming more manifest. The world economies are all fused together. If you read the news any day, you see that Ireland has to be bailed out by Germany in order to save the rest of the world from economic collapse. And it seems like every week these days it's a different country that has to be bailed out. But why? Because all of the world economies are fused together in oneness. And we're just realizing this now. What's another thing? Air travel. Again, you know, in the history of the world, these are relatively recent inventions. Air travel is turning the entire world into one neighborhood. Okay, so the economies are fused. The, geographically, those are fused. In terms of interpersonal communication, those things are fused. All these things are fused together in the revelation of oneness. Now, there are... There are downsides to this because the march toward this increase of revelation and light goes on whether or not we're ready for it. And if we're not ready for it, it it, it manifests itself as a negative. This is the great irony. This is the great irony. How an increase in light could actually manifest itself as a negative. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Again, that's in that talk... um, Uh, Facebook, CNN, and God. Um, To to choose one example, what they're decrying right now, all the pundits um, are decrying right now, is what they're calling the death of privacy. And by that they mean is the fact that everyone is exposing, you know, huge amounts about themselves online, And that more and more, you know, it seems like Big Brother and all the rest, that information is shared whether we want it to be shared or not. And it seems like we don't, we're, uh, on some level, we're willing participants in the end of privacy. In in other ways, we we, we don't seem to be willing participants. But, But the end of privacy seems to be coming either way, right? 
So, so here's an example of what we would all agree would be a negative in, 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 in the zeitgeist, in, in terms of what's going on right now. However, what is going on simultaneously? What is that pointing toward? What is the truer spiritual reality of this? In other words, what's the good in this, but that the, what's the good that we don't have vessels to receive right now, because we're not on the level yet to receive it, because we haven't refined ourselves sufficiently. So the good is, and I'm going to tie this into um, the Parsha's Truma in a moment, and the building of the Mishkan. So just so you know where this is going, okay? Um, so, so the thing is, it, it, I mentioned a story, it's a famous story, I, I, I think it's from the Chovitz Chaim, where this Rav was riding in a wagon, and the wagon driver stops, and he sees an orchard, and there's a fruit tree, and he wants to stop to go and, and, and get a piece of fruit. Now, the problem with that is it's not his fruit, it's not his orchard, and it's stealing. So he says to the rabbi, he says, listen, you be the lookout, essentially, and you go and um, you stay here. If anyone's coming, just let me know. So the, the wagon driver goes and he's about to pull a, a, a piece of fruit off the tree, and the rabbi yells out, they're watching, they're watching. And he looks around and he doesn't see anyone there. And the rabbi points up to heaven and says, they're watching, they're watching. Right? So what's the point? What's the point of that? The point is, is that wherever we go, wherever we go, we're with God. Wherever we go, with we're, we're, and that's a good thing, because no one loves us more than God. That's an awesome thing. That, that's what makes this world so beautiful, so awesome. We're never alone. So that's the positive. In other words, ultimately, there is no privacy. There is no privacy anyway. But that is not being revealed because we don't have the vessels or the God consciousness yet to understand the depth of that. That wherever we go, we're with God, and that's an awesome, beautiful thing. Right now, it's manifesting itself as the death of privacy. <laughs> there is no privacy. Do you understand? There's no such concept as privacy. But, but that is starting to become revealed in the world. But because we're not, we're not on the level to really understand what's being said or what's happening right now, it just seems like he's spying on me or I'm telling people that. Why am I telling people that? Why did I put that picture of me up there? Or even worse, maybe, why did you put that picture of me up there? <laughs> or that video, right? Like, ah, crazy. But all of that is going toward the same direction, toward the same idea. All right. Now, and by the way, this, if you want to understand what the apocalypse is, like, what is the apocalypse? Like, a lot of people don't understand what the apocalypse is, you know, or the war of Gog Magog, however you want to phrase it. What is that, right? What that means is, is that ultimately, you see, because... You see, let's, let's understand the idea that, that, that underlies everything that I've been saying up until this point. Which is that when God created the world, the first thing that he had in mind was to create a perfect world. That was the point. Why would a perfect God, who's good, create an imperfect world that's filled with evil and trouble and injustice? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
So the answer is, is that the world that we're living in right now is a world that's still in the process of being created. And that's why we're here. We're partners with God in terms of achieving that perfection. In terms of completing the world. That's why we're here. So it's not how most people think. Ah, God, you put me in this world and it's got problems in it? No. I put you in this world because it has problems in it. You understand the difference? We're here to fix the world. With God. That's why the problems are around us. Not like, oh, you sent me on vacation to this place. and You know, I took my kids to Santa Monica Pier. They had the day off. And it was like kind of like a big deal. And um, you can buy tickets online. And then you get a discount. And I was so organized. I bought the tickets online and everything like that. Paid up front. And, uh, you know, I saw... You know, it was a very busy site. Like a thousand things to click, you know. I got to the place... There were two rides open in the entire place. I mean, like, 90% of the rides were closed. And I had paid in advance, so, you know, there goes your refund, right? And so, the person said, didn't you read all the things online? Like, you know, I was like, no. Actually, I didn't. So, So, she was nice. She gave us sort of free tickets for the couple of things that were open. Although it was kind of bizarre, one of the things that was open was the bumper cars. So, and, there was, and it was a pretty empty day. So literally, the only people in this bumper car thing, which is basically demolition, demolition derby, was me, my 10-year-old, and my 7-year-old. And it's sort of like... And every time I rammed into my son, his kippa would fly off his head, you know? So it was really kind of a strange experience. But anyway, what's the point? The point is that God put us in this world in order to fix the problems of this world. To be partners with Him toward that end. Not, it's not, God, you put me in this world with all these problems. The point is that there are problems. <laughs> That's why we're here. We have to understand the cause and effect of this. Otherwise, it's, it's baffling. Because why would a good God put us, you know... You know, it's kind of funny. I, one of the best times I ever had in high school was the worst party I ever went to in high school. And I had to travel so far. I lived in Manhattan at the time. This was in deepest, darkest Queens. And you had to take a train to the last stop, and then a bus, and then another bus, and then someone had to pick you up in a car, right? And it was the worst party. And I went with a friend of mine, and... It was one of the best times I ever had, because for the next two years, all we did was joke and laugh about how terrible a party it was. You know? So, so even though that night was bad, we got two years of, like, you know, laughter out of that night, you know? So, anyway. So, let's, let's get back to this. The idea is that the very point of creation, the very reason why God created this world was to create a perfect world. It was to create a perfect world. And that that's going to happen no matter what. That's why when the Talmud says that, the, that Mashiach will come by the year 6,000, right? What that means is there's a cutoff date. That at a certain point, whether we're ready for it or we're not ready for it, it comes. If we're not ready for it, it comes anyway. And that's the apocalypse, by the way. 
Because what that means is, is that God is going to take us into this next dimension of spirituality, this next level of spirituality. And if we don't have the vessels to receive it, it's going to manifest itself as just bloody hell, basically, in terms of the, 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 the war and the transition. But if we are ready for it, then it can come right now, it can come today. Because that light is ready to come down. And it's inevitable because that's, it's not just one of the things God wants to do. That is the plan for this world, is for it to be perfected. Okay? So, so again, let's just make sure that we're understanding each other. We're part of a process. This process is the drive toward perfection. God is doing this. He's revealing His oneness all the time. Increasingly, with technology and with science and all the, and all the same. But again, understand another very fundamental point. Everyone has to know this. Which is that God will always preserve free choice. Always. And that's the very first letter of the whole Torah, which is the blueprint of creation, is the letter Bez. Bez is the number two. Olive Bez. It's the number two. That stands for free choice. In other words, the whole world is balanced on this one point, which is called free choice. Which means that as God reveals more and more oneness in this world, through technology, through science, He will also create more and more opportunities to deny it altogether. Like, isn't it interesting that now, as, as more and more oneness is becoming revealed, you have more and more best-selling books about, they call it, it's a whole school of thought now, the new atheism. The new atheism. Because that has to be there in order to maintain the free choice in this world. There has to be the ability to measure it to the revelation of oneness, the denial of it altogether. So those things are, are, are actually very logical phenomena. Very logical phenomena. Um, so now, now let's understand this in the context of, of where we are right now in terms of the, the Torah, in terms of reading the Torah, and in terms of the calendar year. By the way, there's sort of like a, a shift in energy that's going on right now. You should just know, I, I sort of made a joke yesterday. It's sort of like, you, you check the weather report, why not check the God report, right? So, so here's, here's the God report in terms of, you know, what, what's going on uh, spiritually in the world right now. We're just leaving this chunk of the year called Shovavim. Shovavim is an interesting word. It basically means, it's from the prophets, and it's from a verse in the prophets which is talking about the rebelliousness, our rebelliousness. And if you take the, if you spell out Shovavim, believe it or not, that word is actually a, an acrostic of all the initial names of the Parshas in, in the book of Exodus, in Sefer Shmos. It spells out, if you take Shmos, Vayera, you know, keep on going, it spells out Shovavim, the exact word from the prophets which means this rebelliousness thing. So this is a time of tshuva, and it's understood to be as a slightly more intense period, spiritually speaking, in the, in the calendar. And now, that last word, shovavim, the last, that final mem is parshas mishpatim, that's the mem of shovavim, is mishpatim. We're now leaving that, because we just read that, and now we're entering into the month of Adar, which is the month of joy. So that's kind of what's going on on a, on a larger uh, uh, scope. Um, so, 
you see, in terms of the structure of Sefer Shmos, you see, narratively speaking, or in terms of just the structure of the book itself, there's a major shift that's happening also, which is that up until now, we've had all the parshas of, we've been enslaved in Egypt, we're being, you've got the plagues, we're being taken out of Egypt, the sea splits, we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, and then we get the further laws, the, further, the civil laws in Mishpatim. That's all one discrete unit. And then, now we're going to start learning about building the Mishkan. And it's a little like you're in this high drama, and then all of a sudden someone sort of like takes away that and just hands you a blueprint for a building. And you're like, now we're talking about planks of wood and sockets and curtains, and it's like, what? You know, and you're so involved in the, the drama of the story, and now all of a sudden it's sort of like, it becomes so technical. And we're, we're in the same book of the Torah still. So a lot of people get lost and confused. What's going on exactly? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. And this is from the Ramban. Basically, narratively speaking, thematically speaking, it's still exactly on the same subject. What we're talking about is now that we've become free people, and now that we have the Torah, now, now that we properly know how to use our freedom, which is, again, remember, very important concept. We were taken out of Egypt in order to get the Torah. It's not that we got out of Egypt, and then it's sort of like God's like, well, you know, I've got to take them somewhere, right? They got the week off from school. I'll take them to Mount Sinai and give them the Torah. That'll, that's a nice event. That'll make them happy. You know, that, that wasn't it. We were taken out of Egypt to get the Torah at Mount Sinai. Because if you don't have direction, freedom is not freedom. You're just a slave to yourself and the desires of the moment. That's it. That's it. People trick themselves. They think, well, no one's telling me what to do. So I'm free. That, believe me, that's, that's an illusion. That's an illusion. So, so we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. And now what's our job? Our job is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That's, that's, and that's what we're doing when we're building the, the temple. Or the Mishkan. The base of Migdash. Whatever, however you want to call it. That's what we're doing right now. We're turning the whole world into a dwelling place for God. Okay. Now we're going to double back and we're going to hit on some of the themes that, that I was talking about earlier. But in this context. And you'll see we're, we're still on the same subject, but taking it on a, another track right now. So I heard Rabbi Avram Sutton say the following, in the name of the Sforno, which was an amazing thought. Now, in order to know what's going on here, let me, let me, let me read you something. This is a very interesting area, and I hope to give a, a whole talk on this one day. I'm not ready to yet, but I can just tell you the, I can tell you the basic idea. There was a very interesting thing that happened at Mount Sinai which is God, depending on how you learn it, but let's just say God gave the first two commandments. Okay? That's, that's, that's how the Gomorrah explains it. The first one, God said, I'm, I'm, I'm God your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Right? That's number one. Number two is, you should have no other gods before me. Okay? That's what God spoke out. Now, according to the Medrash, what happened was, when God spoke the first commandment, what happened was, it was such a blast of light, basically, that our souls flew out of our bodies, and that God had to resurrect us. He had to bring us back to life. Okay? 
Then God spoke the second commandment. And you know what happened? Our souls flew out of our bodies again. And God had to revive us again, bring us back to life again. Okay? At that point, we said the following. Alright, this is, uh, if you want to see it, it's the book of Exodus, most, chapter 20, uh, verse 15 we can start with. Um, it's really 16, but let's start with 15. The entire people saw the thunder and the flames, the sound of the shofar and the smoking mountains. The people saw and trembled and stood from afar. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we shall hear. Let God not speak to us lest we die. So, in other words, what the people of Israel said to Moses was, okay, let's just, let's just exhale for a moment. Just chill, okay? Because, you know, I'm saying this half jokingly, but half seriously. In, in America, anyway, if you go to a place that, where there's any sort of like monetary kind of thing going on, they need two pieces of ID. You always have to give two pieces of ID. So God spoke the first two commandments. So, so to speak, God gave two pieces of ID. The Jewish people were more than satisfied. They were like, yeah, this is absolutely coming from God. We're on board. You finish up the paperwork, Moshe. We're going to go over here with our souls in our bodies, okay? Because we can't take it anymore. Now, like I say, this is a whole field in itself. And it's based on the following question. Did the Jewish people say good or did they say not good? In other words, the fact that they said that, was that a good thing or was that not a good thing? So interestingly, the, the Torah itself says it was a good thing. The Torah itself says it was a good thing. Later on. Interesting. Interesting. Many rabbis say it was a bad thing. So... What's going on? So, like I said, this is a whole field, and I hope to give a whole talk on this later, but we, we can begin to get into it more now. So, seemingly, if the Torah itself, and that's God speaking, says it was a good thing, it was a good thing. Why is there even a debate? But you have many great people saying it wasn't a good thing. So, why are they saying that, knowing that God said that? So, what's their logic? Okay, so we have to begin to understand this. Okay. Now, let me tell you what the Sforno says. Remember we said in the name of the Ramban, who's maybe a few hundred years before the Sforno, that in terms of, remember, what's the, what's the, the, the what, what is our history as, it, as it's been unfolding? We get out of slavery. We become free. We get the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now it's time to turn the world into a dwelling place for God. Right? Okay. So, the Sforno says that had we not said that, had we not said, Moshe, you finish, the entire world would have become a revealed dwelling place for God. Because we said it, we just made a building. (laughs) Do you understand? That the ultimate end, the fabric of time and space would have been transformed in a revealed way, because God obviously occupies the entire world anyway. But in terms of revealing God's presence in the world, that's the ultimate goal. That, one's God, that God's oneness should become manifest. 
that would have happened. It would have been revealed that the entire world is God's dwelling place. The fabric of time and space would have been that dwelling place. That's the ultimate goal. But because we said, you know, eh, uh, Moshe, you do it. Moshe, you get the rest. It just became a building. Do you hear? Is everyone here? Okay. Now, obviously we didn't have the vessels at that point. So now this is me talking right now. I want to try to explain what, what happened. Okay? And also put it in the context of, the, of this idea of the, this carpet that's being un, unrolled, unfurled. That, this, that, we're in, that we're part of a process no matter what. Hopefully we make the right choices, but no matter what, society and the world is advancing toward redemption no matter what. Okay? And if you say, well, but I see so many bad things, that's not a contradiction. Like, how can the world be getting better when you've got this, this, and this going on? That's not a contradiction. This is what I'm trying to explain to you. If we don't have the vessels to hold the light, it manifests itself as a negative. But it doesn't mean that this process toward redemption and the increased revelation of oneness isn't also going on. Is, is everyone clear on that? Because that's, that's a very important point. Things are getting better regardless of whether things are getting better. Hopefully, if we're on the level, then you'll actually see them getting better with your own eyes. But either way, they're getting better. Okay, so let me try to explain. In terms of the Mishkan, in terms of the tabernacle, in terms of us not being ready. See, there's another teaching which is very important. And if you see where the Jews were at at the moment when they said, Moses, you get the rest of the commandments, we'll wait over here. You'll begin to understand where we were at at that moment. You see, when we were taken out of Egypt, God gave us a free gift. See, probably the greatest, if you had to say, what's the most spiritual greatest night of the year? I guess you could argue that it's Yom Kippur. I guess that you could. I think maybe greater than Yom Kippur is actually Pesach night. The night of the 15th of Nisan. Because that's the night of redemption. That's the night that we got out of Egypt. All of future redemptions are modeled on us getting out of Egypt. If you look at the end of the Haggadah, you'll see there's a song which is all the awesome miracles that have happened throughout history on the 15th of Nisan. Nisan is this giant opening between this world and the next. It's an incredible, incredible night. That's Pesach. That's when we got out of Egypt. All of the holy... All the holy books say the following thing. That that night, the 15th night of Nisan, now remember, in terms of sort of the cosmic map, if you will, there are 50 levels, right? The top level, the 50th level, also known as the Shar Chamishim, the 50th gate. It's the highest, highest, it's like the top of heaven, okay? Then you have 50 below. You've got the 50th level of Tuma, of spiritual impurity also. So you've got both going on at the same time, below and above. So the, 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 the gate, this 50th gate, it's awesome, awesome gate. That's like reserved for, you know, that's the highest, okay? It says that when we left Egypt, the, 15th, the night of the 15th of Nisan, the light from the 50th level came down. All right? And that it was a free gift from God, a free gift from God, 
because we were not on that level to receive that light, but God gifted it to us. Now, there's a chart that you, everyone should have in their mind because that whole time period is very sort of mathematical in a weird way. Because we start counting the Omer, the second night of Pesach. And what do we count? We count one. In other words, we go from 50, which was a gift, and now God starts to give us the opportunity to earn that level. The next night we start at the bottom, and we count one. And then we count one every single day till we get to 49. And then the 50th is what? The receiving of the Torah and Sinai. Okay? So in other words, we're gifted with the 50th gate, the night of Pesach. This awesome light shines down. Then that was a gift. Now we start to earn it. We start counting one the next night, then two, then three, then four, all the way up to the 50th, which is the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, where we try to earn that, where we try to earn what we had been given for free that night. Now, that process of counting the Omer is really a, a, a later stage. At that point, at that point, by the time that we got to Mount Sinai on the 50th day, we didn't really earn that level of the 50th yet. We didn't earn it yet. But because it was part of a historical process where the carpet is being unrolled, where perfection is happening to us and around us, whether we're ready for it or not, it was time to give the Torah. God wanted us to give the Torah. God gave us the spiritual merit as a gift to get out of Egypt, even though we didn't really have it so much. Remember, Remember, the angels, like, protested when God was killing the Egyptians in the Red Sea. The angels said, wait a second, they worship idols, and they worship idols. Meaning us, by the way, and the Egyptians. So, what's the difference? How come you're killing all them, and you're letting all them go? So, in other words, in terms of our spiritual level, understand it, we hadn't really fully merited what we were about to receive yet. But because we're part of this God-given process where God is advancing redemption in the world and redemption is happening around us, whether we're ready for it or not, God was say, it's like, it's time to give the Torah. You're getting out of Egypt. You know what? Like, imagine, and Lahab deal, but just so you have something in mind, imagine you take a homeless person off the street and you bathe them and you send them to a sauna and you give them a great you know, shaved and a, a fancy haircut, and you put on an Armani, uh, an Armani suit on him, right? He'll look great. He'll look great. Like, you'll think he's a top CEO, a top businessman. But at the same time, what's going on really? He's not really what, how, 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 he, how he meets the eye. The person's not ready to start, you know, running a company at that point. Right? But, but that's what it looks like. God gave us this gift. He, he blessed us with this light from the 50th level. He took us out of Egypt. He gave us the Torah. But we weren't fully ready and at that level yet. But because we're part of this historical process toward redemption, toward perfection, it just rolled out and that's how it happened. Now with that in mind, let's revisit what we were saying about 10 minutes ago. God speaks. Our souls fly out of our bodies. God revives us. He speaks again. Our souls fly out of our bodies. God revives us again. And then we say, you know what? 
Moses, you gotta, you know, imagine saying to that that person, okay, now you're going to be meeting with, um, you know, uh, Bill Bill Gates, and then you've got a, you know, and then you've got, uh, then we're going to drive you right to your meeting with, uh, you know, S- S- Stephen Jobs, right? You know, it's like, well, I'm I'm not ready for those meetings yet, you know, I I can't take those meetings. So, so, so the entire fabric of reality was not ready to be transformed yet because this is me now trying to explain the Sparno because we, we weren't ready yet. We weren't ready yet. So it becomes a building. It becomes the Mishkan itself, which is a stepping stone toward all of reality changing. We're still on that path. That still is what's going on. But it's just that we have to take it step by step. Now let's revisit the idea that the Torah said it was a good thing, that we said, Moshe, you, you get the rest. And yet the rabbis seemed to say it wasn't a good thing. Or many rabbis seemed... So now we can understand it. Because if you're not on the level to receive something yet spiritually, it can be harmful to go in that direction. You have to take it step by step. So God said, look, you took it step by step. You weren't ready and you were honest and you said it. And that's great. So we're going to make a building. But we're still on the path. Right? But the rabbis were like, oh man. Had we been on the level. Had we been just willing to maybe trust ourselves. or So who's right? So who's right? There's a point on both sides. There's a point on both sides. You have to know yourself. If you're not ready, you're not ready. But if you are ready, don't, don't trick yourself and tell yourself that you're not ready. Right? That's why you need good friends and good advisors and good teachers. And you talk to them. You tell them, what's going on in my life? Am I ready? Am I not ready? And if they love you, then they'll tell you, you know what? Do this, don't do that. Or you know what? Do both. Or you know what? Don't do either. <laughs> That's why it's so important. It says in, it says in Perkei Avos, Aseilacharav. You have to take upon yourself a rab, a teacher, someone who gets to know you, and then that person can guide you. Very, very important. Very, very, very important. So, so you see, you see we're part of a process. And that process is going on. And this is a blessed, beautiful thing because we're heading toward we're, we're heading toward redemption. Whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not, it's not, it's not contingent on that. But, look at how much more awesome and how much more beautiful it is if we're ready for it and if we make ourselves vessels for it, then all of a sudden the way it's going to happen is going to be so much more beautiful, so much more awesome. Um, I think... Uh, I think we should stop there. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. All right. One more thought, actually. There's one more thought. And this kind of relates, but let's, let's just offer this as a brand new thought. Okay? So that uh, we're, we're changing topics right now, but they're kind of thematically linked, but let's just press the reset button and one more thought, which is, um, I think, interesting. Okay. If you look, in Parsha, uh, Parsha's Mishpatim, uh, chapter 23, verse 23. If you want to look it up, easy to remember, 23, 23, right? 
Um, listen to this. Listen to this verse, and I'll, I'll read it twice. See if you can hear my question on it. All right, because there's something really kind of odd going on in this part. It's not odd, really, but if you think about it, it's it's it's, it's kind of striking. See if you can hear the the the, the, the question in the while I read it. Um, This is talking about the Jews, uh, God is going to guide us into the land of Israel. Remember, we're at Mount Sinai, and we're going to take over Israel, basically. God's giving us Israel. Okay? For my angel shall go before you, and bring you to the Amorite, the Hittite, the Pezzarite, the Canaanite, the Hivite, and the Jezebite, and I will annihilate them. Alright? See if you can hear the question in this. I'm going to read it again. For my angel shall go before you, and bring you to the Amorite, the Hittite, the Pezzarite, the Canaanite, the Hivite, and the Jezebite, and I will annihilate them. So, here's my question. If your angel is going to go before us, how about not bringing us in front of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Jezebite, the Amorite, the Hittite, right? How about leading us, you know what, we'll go in that direction, thank you God, if you're going to annihilate them anyway, right? Why are you leading us to them to annihilate them? How about we skip that part where we have to do that part of the annihilating, right? The actual confrontation. Yeah? So I think really all of life, if you will, all of history, if you will, and again, you'll see how this sort of connects to what we've been saying, is sort of captured in this one pasuk, which is that God is doing it, but he asks of us to make the effort. We have to be participants in this process. It's God who's doing it. He's unfurling the carpet, if you will. It's God who's doing it. And it's going to happen. But our achrayas, our responsibility, spiritually, materially, physically, is to actually participate consciously in the process. By the way, on another level, these, um, the, the Rebbe is saying, these are seven nations. The Amorite, one. Hittite, two. Pezzarite, three. Canaanite, four. Hittite, five. Well, actually, it's six. The Jezebite, um, well, that's six. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six nations. This correlates, Kabbalistically, if you will, with the lower six spherot, which are called the Midos. So, what that means is, basically that we have to refine and uplift our amidos and annihilate any bad qualities within ourselves and transform them to good. So in other words, this one verse is actually describing the, the transformation of the world both on a micro and a macro level in terms of our own personal spiritual refinement and also the challenges that we have to go through uh, in the world, in history, and in our lives. And as I've mentioned before, but it's very important to understand, we're going to get challenges no matter what. And we tend to think, because we beat ourselves up and we don't really understand exactly how this world works so often, we tend to think, if anything's going wrong in my life, it's only because I'm doing bad things. And, by the way, that's not incorrect. And in fact, the Rambam says that if one doesn't look into their own actions if things are going wrong, he actually uses the word cruelty. He says that's cruelty. A very fascinating use of that word, aksaris. But, on the other hand, we also have to understand that even if we're absolutely 100% blame-free, we're still going to get challenges, because that's the nature of this world. 
So when we get attached or confronted with something, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've done anything wrong. It's just that's the nature of this world. Now what I would compare it to is imagine a baseball. So you pick up a baseball bat, you walk up to the batting plate, you hold up the bat, right? And then the pitcher throws a ball over the plate, and you go, hey man, what are you, what are you doing? Why so aggressive? Why are you throwing a ball at me? It's like, no, wait a second. This is the game. This is where you're at. You have a bat in your hand. You're at the batting place. And then he throws another ball. You're like, hey, forget it. You put the bat down. This guy's crazy. He's throwing balls at me. No, this, this is it. This is what's going on. That's this world. It's baseball. You know, in other words, if we understand every morning when we wake up that this is it, challenges come our way, let's anticipate them, let's expect them, and let's knock them out of the park when they come. As opposed to, ah, another thing, another thing, another thing. Right? That's like the guy being surprised that, you know, wait, do, do you not understand you're in a baseball uniform on a baseball field? Do you not understand that you're in Olamasia in a body? Do you, that's, that's your uniform. This is the baseball field. This dimension that you exist in. This is, this is what it is. And you're surprised? You're the crazy one. So, so if we can just reframe this and understand that it's sort of like every day, it's sort of like, let's do it. What's going to come my way today? Let's knock it out of the park. Then we, then we transform everything because then, really, then we're really in tune with, with what our job is and what, what the process of this world is. Okay. I, yeah. If, if he says uh, in that thing you read, yeah. I will, yeah. he doesn't say you, you, you should. No, but that's the whole point. God says, I will. In other words, ultimately, God is doing it. But we have to be participants in the process as well. But you just show up. Yeah. He's like, he'll do the dirty work for you. Well, yeah, and, but that, that's true. But that also depends on what level we're at. Right. In terms of the more worthy we are, the more it sort of kind of gets done with Siata De Shemai, with the help from heaven. But either way, it, it depends on us really being active participants. You know what I mean? God is doing yeah. it for us. That's right. the way it looks to me. Right. That he's doing it for us. Right. But, but the illusion of this world or the, the duality of this world is that we have to be participants as he's doing it for us. So this is, this is what we have to have in mind. And this was the greatness of David Amalek, of King David, is that he was on the front lines of battle and swinging his sword while simultaneously understanding that everything was being done by God as he was being the, the master warrior, simultaneously he understood that everything was coming from God. That's the highest level. That's the highest level in Torah. Yeah. I would say it's a lot easier yeah. when you know that. Oh, yeah. Because you were going into battle to kill a bunch of, like, six different nations and not know what the consequences of that would be or results of that would be. Well, this is the importance of Torah study. Torah study allows us to understand what's going on around us. Because we're not supposed to be operating in the dark. God doesn't want us operating in the dark. God wants us to know what's going on. This is why we're coming you know, to listen to you. Well, you know, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope I'm saying uh, good things. But uh, anyway, thanks for coming. Uh, and just a reminder, no, uh, no class uh, this next week. This next week. Okay. Just one minute. Just one minute.